Hello, this is your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. You are about to embark on the listening of uh, a bonus episode of Dimland Radio. This is bonus show number 12. Uh, it was originally aired uh, on October 1st, 2011. This goes back to the days when the show was done live, actually live on ZTalk Radio. Dot com. People would show up in the chat room and listen to me talk about whatever, and I and I do it live. Uh, you might be able to hear it in my voice. I have a little bit of a cold, and so I'm trying to be careful uh, not to sniffle or cough while I'm doing this open for uh, this bonus show. Uh, I'm sitting on the couch with my cat on my lap as I record this this cold open to bonus show number 12. Uh, this is back when I was uh, attempting to do some cold opens for the show. I stopped doing that after a while. Didn't eh, I don't know, too much like the Geologic podcast and I didn't want to be I didn't want to be too much like that. Okay, so what <clears throat> what you're going to hear is a cold open that I in which I talk about how much I like autumn, and how much I like the uh, um, the animated special on TV. Uh, it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and uh, I do a little production in the piece. Not much, just a little. And I talk about uh, we got a new roof uh, at that t- at that time. Um, I mentioned that uh, REM had just broken up, and I talk about seeing R.E.M. in concert. Uh, there's uh, there's the first mention of the Minnesota Skeptics in this episode. I believe it's the first time I've mentioned them. Um, or at least it's the first time that I, I went to a meetup. And it was a... Uh, they used to have newbie night back then. So I went to one of those. And uh, I said, you know, I, I might have to get uh, more involved with the Minnesota Skeptics. took a while before I started showing up regularly for their monthly meetups but this is the uh, this this show has that first um, extended mention at least of the Minnesota skeptics also there's uh, some new story about redheads not being wanted in sperm banks and if you have redheaded sperm they don't want it something like that hey you know a little story about that and some other stuff so uh, before my voice gets uh, too bad. I'm going to uh, get this going. The next voice you will hear will be mine, telling you a story about how uh, how much I like Autumn and it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. So sit back and relax and enjoy. The, the sound quality isn't fantastic in these early shows, but what are you going to do? It got better. I got a better microphone and it got better, but it it shouldn't be too bad. So enjoy listening to Dimland Radio's uh, bonus show number twelve, originally aired ten one two thousand eleven. Uh, that would be October first, uh, two thousand eleven. So without further ado, take it away, Jim. Go ahead, start telling that story. Okay, it's October. Finally, October, my favorite month of the year. Why? Well, I like the weather change. It gets cooler and uh, it's crisper and it's just nice, nicer air feeling. Better sleeping weather. You don't have to put the air conditioner on. You don't have to do any of that crap. You just, ah, it's nice. And then the leaves start changing color and, and, and then you cap it off with Halloween at the end. I mean, what could be better than that? Yeah. It's a fantastic month. And another thing great about October, and specifically the Halloween at the end of the month, is that every October uh, the broadcast TV plays It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, which is my favorite of all the uh, children's holiday special things. I just I think it's great. It came out in 1966, I think, I don't know, somewhere around there. Uh, I believe it was the second of the uh, Peanuts 
holiday specials, the Christmas one being the first one, I, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, I really like it. I think it's one of the best, uh, uh, is the best of any of them, even better than the, um, than the, uh, the Christmas one, which is okay, but, uh, you know, a little too religious for me. But other than that, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's still good. But the, the, the Halloween one is just terrific because it, it really kind of captures at least the way I feel about Halloween, the, the, the way I look back on it. It reminds me of when I was a kid and, and how Halloween was. Halloween was, you know, getting together with your younger brother and your friends and going out in costumes and getting as, as much candy as you could. We brought pillowcases and not, you know, buckets or plastic bags or paper bags. Well, you know, whatever works, but pillowcases is what we used. And, um, you know, we we would just comb the neighborhood, just go everywhere. We some places we'd go to twice. Some blocks were pretty good. Let's go down this one again. Right? Let's let's do it this one again. And it's, it was it was it was good. Yeah, that's what we did. And then and the the great pumpkin had that feel. The kids went trick or treating in there, and it it was uh, Charles Schultz who created the peanuts was from Minnesota. Did you know that? It's from St. Paul, and uh, so. I guess his his youth was Halloween looked like that to him, and he grew up in Minnesota, and of course he had the same kind of weather conditions, and so that's reflected in the cartoon. And uh, if you watch it on television, I don't know if they've changed it back to the way it was, but some time ago they shortened it because they wanted to get more commercials in. Of course, you know, more commercials, more money. Um, and in order to do that, they would have to clip some of the program out. Uh, so what they clipped was, now you remember that Charlie Brown, he has problems with the scissors making his costume. So it's all these holes over there. He's going as a ghost, but he's just got holes all over the place. And uh, and he every place he goes to for trick-or-treating, they give him a rock. And... In the original version, if you get the DVD, or we have it on videotape still, but, uh, uh, you know, we'll pull that out and watch that. In fact, I might even watch it tonight. Hmm, who knows? Uh, and, uh, you know, if you get that, you'll get the whole thing. You'll get, uh, you'll get uh, all the I Got a Rock. He gets a rock three times. That's what they show. But in the shortened version to put in more commercials, they cut out most of that. You only see him get one rock. And then at the end of the program, he says, I went trick-or-treating and all I got was a bag full of rocks. Poor Charlie Brown. Oh. <laughs> anyway, but he perseveres. He keeps going. When you watch the original version, when it has all three, it's funny. It plays a lot funnier, and I I don't know if they thought, well, let's cut this out because it's kind of it's kind of mean to Charlie. But that's the way life is for Charlie. We're all a little bit Charlie Brown. We we all have a little bit of that. Oh, I got a rock, you know. Anyway, so my favorite part of the show is when uh, Snoopy uh, pretends to be a World War One flying ace, and he goes flying after the Red Baron. And gets in a gun, you know, dog fight with them up there, and they're shooting each other, you know, all that. And it's this, this very uh, serious moment of the of the show, and he gets shot down. Oh, curse you, Red Baron! And uh, he's behind enemy lines. Uh, he's on the French countryside. He's there, and he's got to get back to you know friendly territory. And so he's stealthily. Sneaking his way back. Now I got to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm a cartoonist, uh, and artist, whatever you want to say, and I think that that segment is probably the most uh, sophisticated and uh, you know very um, uh, textural and just well done section. I mean, it's you know for a kid's cartoon. I mean, if you think about it, watch that segment and just. And you can find it on YouTube. Uh, maybe I'll find a place to put in my my show notes so you can clip and watch it. Uh, it's 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 really well done, and it has a, it's, it has a mood to it that really f sets a great tone. 
because you got Snoopy sneaking through the grass and swimming across a, a little a stream, and and then he's going through a field, and you can hear in the distance, you can hear the sound of train whistles, and you can hear shells bursting somewhere, you know, and it's just, and then there's this just this very low kind of soft, quiet uh, flute uh, playing, a little tune that that you know that follows him along as he tries to get back to friendly territory and I just love that part it's so good it's just it's really cool I just really enjoy it and I'm telling you it 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 must have had an effect on me when I was a kid because it to this day as a 46 nearly 47 year old man I'm not kidding I'll be walking on an autumn evening when, the, when the, it's cool and crisp out. I'm going for a walk, or I'm walking back from somewhere, and it's it's you know it's dusk, and you know the sun's heading down, and it's just very it just has that feel, the crunch of the leaves under your feet as you're walking, and I I you know I always try to find little piles of leaves to walk through to kick them and crunch them and all that. I always do that, still do it, but but when I do that, when I when the time is just right when it's that kind of an autumn evening and I'm walking outside I can swear I hear the train whistles and the shells in the distance this is a production of the Z Talk radio network the views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network here at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play Doctor Online. Ah, welcome to another show. I wasn't here last week. Well, I was, but I wasn't. Um, I had Kale Kelly guest host for me, and uh, and I managed to get done with the work thing that I had to do last week uh, in plenty of time to be able to Skype in and uh, co-host the show that uh, Kale was guest hosting for me, and it was kind of fun, and it, it went on for a while, went over my normal time, but you know, what the hell, we had some fun. And, uh, and you know, I think even Dave joined in, and his wife, Trisha, uh, not Dave's wife, Trisha, Kale's wife, Trish, uh, Trisha, Trish, uh, she was there at the beginning, and then Dave, Dave Burke of Paradigm Shift, uh, he came in, and it was, it was fun. It was pretty fun. Anyway, so, um, you know, how long does it take to put on a new roof? Well, it takes about two days, depending on the size of your house. Um, but how long does it take to to finally get the guys to actually work on the house? Um, back last year, well, I think it was late August, I think, or in September, um, we got hit with a with a storm that had some pretty nasty hail. I mean, I mean, it was something like one, two in the morning, and that hail was coming down, and I was down here. Uh, in the living room, and Amy and Hayden were upstairs sleeping, and Amy came down, and, and we're just listening to it smacking on the on the roof of the house. It was just bam! It just it was loud, and uh, uh, didn't really think much of it afterward. We just thought, wow, that was really hitting. And then as the weeks went on, uh, my dad had brought it up, a neighbor across the way had brought it up, um, parents of kids that go to the same school that uh, Hayden goes to brought it up, and they said, you, know, you maybe should have your roof checked out because um, there's a lot of people with hail, hail damage from that storm. And so we did, and uh, the, the, uh, the 
insurance claims adjuster fella came out, and sure enough, we had hail damage. And uh, so he said, go ahead and get some estimate on it, uh, get a contractor and send the stuff. And they, So we started working on it, and they, they, send us, they cut us a check right away for... 2100 bucks and then you know that's sort of seed money you know here you go here's some seed money for you to get your roof fixed and then um uh then we we contacted uh, the fellow that lives next door to my dad he's um uh, he's a contractor and he partners with a fellow who does roofs this guy does you know the guy next door to my dad mainly does the siding and windows and that kind of work and uh, so uh, got, contacted him, and he came out to take a look, but it had snowed. And so he really, you know, pretty much all he could do was do some measuring because there was snow on the roof. And he said, you know, with it, if it, you know, because it took a while before he actually was able to come out. Um, and he said, well, if it warms up in the next couple of weeks, which it usually does, uh, you know, and the snow's gone from the roof, we'll come out again, and that way I can really check it out, measure it up, and do all that stuff. And you've got about a year to get this taken care of with the insurance company. And actually, I think, uh, he told me, this contractor told me, he says, with Minnesota, you've got two years after the incident to be able to get things taken care of. So he said if the insurance company wouldn't play ball, he'd say, look, in Minnesota, you're required to give us two years to get the stuff taken care of. So, anyway. Well, wouldn't you know... The snow didn't melt. We got more, and we got more, and so we couldn't take a look at it until spring. And when we finally got the snow melt, I got a hold of him. He came out, and he checked it out, and he said, oh, boy, the insurance company, that uh, they lowballed you on that one. So he he comes up with a thing, and he deals with the insurance company. He says, okay, here's what we've got, and we'll send it to them. So he's wrangling with the insurance company. And uh, we get a call from him, uh, from the contractor, and he says, "So, well, your insurance company is going to send you another check. Uh, that'll, you know, because they made some adjustments based on my uh, my estimates. So we got another check for eight hundred bucks. <laughs> we thought, okay. Well, at this point, we knew what uh, the estimate that the contractor drew up, and it was over." It was over five thousand dollars, and we thought, well, let's see, eight hundred and twenty-one hundred plus our five hundred dollar deductible. That doesn't add up. So how's he gonna? How, what? And he told me he says you know he'll work with what the insurance company will will pay us and all that. So, and I thought, okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it's gonna work. And I didn't hear anything from. He wanted me to send the paperwork over to him. I did that. Send the paperwork over, and then I didn't hear from him. And uh, uh, I was getting a little worried. And I was going to call him on one particular day, and he called me, and he says, "Okay, um, we, you know, I pulled the permit. Uh, we're going to get started. Uh, this is, you know, this is going to be." And I asked him, about this, "But I, I've, they're only giving us this much money." He says, "Oh, you know what the insurance companies do? They give you a certain amount of money up front, and a lot of people just say, you know what? We'll just take the money and not worry about the roof." And um, and if they, and, you know, and that's you know, if you do that, and you have some further damage to the roof later down the road, and you go to your insurance company about it, the insurance company will say, "Hey, we already paid for one." <laughs> so uh, you know, that's what they do. He says, "But if you decide to do the actual work, they'll cut the check once the work is done." He says, "I give all my paperwork to them. They cut you another check for the difference, and then you pay me." So. Okay, that's how it's going to work. So it's not not too bad. So it's all it's done. It got done this week. They came out Wednesday, and uh, and, and which was you know it's it's good that they did. But I had planned to do uh, a talk with my friend Chris Brown, who we do these ten minute topics, and I uh, haven't done one for a while because Chris has been busy and I've been busy and we've been having a hard time hooking up and finally last Wednesday was we were able to do it but we couldn't do it because the roofers were pounding away <laughs> on the roof so I said Chris this isn't gonna work so he says oh I understand man so hopefully we'll be able to hook up next week and get that all taken care of so anyway so we got the new roof and now we gotta you know, wait for the checks from the insurance company and then pay for it and 
and then try to figure out how to uh, build up our savings again. <laughs> oh well, that's life, right? You only get one, so what the hell. Hey, it's time for a break already. It seems like I've only been talking for a couple minutes. What the hell? Oh well, um, I guess it's all relative, isn't it? Okay, if you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Come back after this break. News, 100% information, 100% guarantee. Thought you might say that. <laughs> You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. I know what you are. You drive too fast. You smell so good, and you dress fashionably well. Say it. Don't spray it. Out loud. You're a... Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, I did. <laughs> Metrosexual? Oh, what? Why do I always get that? I'm a radio show host. Kale, I want to be one of you. And you can be. Join me on ztalkradio.com, 9 p.m. Eastern on Sunday nights. The show's called Perspective. Hey, do you sparkle? Oh my god, don't even start. Hang on, Spider Monkey. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network. Are your friends telling you that your lack of a love life is because Mars isn't rising in the house of Jupiter and that it's just like a Sagittarius to question things? Have Suzanne Summers and Jenny McCarthy become the sole source of medical advice for your mother-in-law? Have you had to argue the fact that the efficacy of coffee enemas has not been proven by science? Has the use of the evolution is just a theory argument driven you to the point of telling your co-workers to, okay, Stop using gravity then. As dealing with dowsers, arguing with anti-vaxxers, harping on homeopathists, quarreling with collations, squabbling with Scientology, and bickering with Bigfoot left you wondering, what can I do to fight the woo? Then head on over to the James Randi Educational Foundation at www.randi.org and contribute to the Season of Reason fundraising campaign by clicking on the donate button. Every dollar you give helps fight woo the world over. Don't just get frustrated. Get involved. Donate at www.randi.org. I got five pieces of candy. I got a chocolate bar. I got a quarter. I got a rock. I am living on channel You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. I am living on Channel Z. on Dimland Radio at uh, ztalkradio.com uh, on the ztalk radio network I'm your host Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons that song right there Radio Free Europe by REM and I'm playing all REM bumpers tonight in honor of REM and their recent breakup uh, which I'll talk about in a little bit 
but that song always reminds me of Autumn. It's I, I don't know exactly why. I can remember uh, when I was going to art school, and there was this, uh, I'd take the bus downtown St. Paul, and I'd get off there, and I'd, I'd have to walk up this, there was this stairwell, outdoor stairwell kind of thing, that uh, really went up. It went up this long hill up to Summit Avenue, which is this old avenue in, in St. Paul that has lots of mansions up and down that. The Governor's Mansion's along there, and the James J. Hill Mansion's along there, and uh, uh, the uh, St. Paul Cathedral is at, it's at one end of it. And my art school is, or the art school I went to, the College of Visual Arts, is along there. And I can remember listening to my headphones, the old Walkman thing, and listening to the compilation mixtapes, whatever you want to call them, and, uh, or, or just listening to some, uh, you know, some album that I had. And it's some reason when I hear that song, I just remember listening to that song while walking up those stairs and the leaves are down. It's this time of year and it's just, you know, it's just great. I love, it's, it's Rocktober in the Fitzsimmons household. That's what we call October. It's my favorite month. Uh, 31 days that uh, I, I want to go very slowly. <laughs> it's the, uh, it's the month in which my wife and I will be celebrating our 10th anniversary. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. And it will also be the month where I take a week off of work, and hopefully I'll be able to uh, enjoy that and not be sick. Oh, <laughs> my wife is, she's been battling a bad cold, and I got over a cold, uh, just, you know, I had one for a little bit, and she's been, oh, she's been battling a bad one. And uh, Hayden seems to be all right, seems like he hasn't missed a day of school yet. Four weeks. We're, we're, we're very excited. <laughs> we know it's coming because uh, you know I went to his I went to I worked with and I didn't go to school with I worked with this uh, a young woman who never missed a day of school kindergarten through her senior year of high school never missed a day uh, she was even featured on one of the local news shows I watched that and I just I when I found that out about her she wasn't something she talked about but she never missed a day I said how is that possible that you, I mean, you never got sick. She must have just, you know, gone to school while she was sick, or maybe, maybe she just, I, I don't know. It's, I, I was stunned. Anyway, um, uh, this week, uh, not only did we get a new roof on the house, and not only did October start, which today started today, you know, October first, right now, tomorrow, October second, will be the. 29th anniversary of my seeing the Who in concert for the first time, uh, that you know, which was a life-changing kind of thing. It changed my perspective on music, and just it, you know, really did. And uh, I became a lifelong Who fan from from then on. I think I've talked about that in the past. Anyway, so this week, uh, I found. Prior to this week, I found this group on Facebook called the Minnesota Skeptics. Uh, they used to be Minneapolis Skeptics, and they decided, well, let's be a little more inclusive because there's St. Paul and there's the rest of the state. So, uh, so they became Minnesota Skeptics, and they had a, a they have a fan page or whatever it is up there on, on Facebook. And, and one time, I was just looking for skeptics on Facebook, and I just put in skeptics and I put Minnesota, and boom, up they come. And I thought, oh, I should be part of this group at least on Facebook. So I, you know, liked the page or whatever you do, joined it and uh, and started kind of paying attention to the posts that go up there. And some of them write some blogs, and I read read that. And and uh, um, I saw that they have these meetup nights. They do a drinking skeptically once or twice a month, and they have you know once a month they have what they call a newbie night. And I had intended to try to go to one uh, last month in August, but it was on a Tuesday, which was a night that I normally work, and I, and the state fair was going on at the same time, and the coffee shop at which they have this meeting is right in the area where the state fair is, the Minnesota State Fair, and there'd be lots of battling for parking and all that, so and I thought, you know, I'll just see what they're going to have next month. Well, the next month being 
last month, September, they were having a newbie night on a Thursday. Well, I don't work Thursday night, so I signed up for it, and so Amy said, yeah, you know, she said it was okay to go, and uh, so I did, and I met, they had three of the, um, three of the folks that are organizers of the group. There's a gal named Melissa, she, she was pretty much the organizers of the events. There's a fellow named Todd, who kind of ran the show, as it were, for the, for the meeting, and then there was another fellow named Ted, and uh, they, they seemed like really decent, nice people. And there was a group of about nine or ten that came in. At first it was all guys uh, of the newbies, but then another fellow came in with his girlfriend. And, and uh, you know, so, there, so we got another gal in the room, which is it was good. You know, um, that's, that was one of the things about the skeptical movement some years ago. They said there's an awful lot of men involved, and they wanted to outreach toward women, get them involved. And apparently at the last TAM, that's the amazing meeting that takes place in Las Vegas every year, one of the largest, if not the largest, meeting of skeptics. Um, they had a good mix of men and women. So now we got to you know, reach out to people of color and, and, you know, just try to spread the word and spread the critical thinking and get people out there. And it was a pretty interesting group. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it generally atheistic, uh, most of the people. But... You know, they said, you know, as skeptics, you don't have to be. It's not a, it's not a, you know, atheistic club necessarily. Yes, it, you know, skeptics that uh, get to this point in the in their in their development, you generally do become atheists. But that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be. There are some that still believe in a god or some sort of spiritual thing that uh, somehow reconcile it with their skepticism. And in fact, we had a fellow there in the group, a new guy that was kind of in that boat and that was cool and and then they told this story melissa the uh, uh she was telling a story about uh, one newbie night that had a fellow there who was a conspiracy theorist when it came to 9-11 and and they said oh geez you know uh, okay well and the thing is with with conspiracy theory people is that they do think of themselves as skeptics and in uh, to a degree yeah i it, they are skeptics. They're questioning what's being told them, and you know they're not just taking it spoon-fed kind of thing. And and it's a, yes, in a, in a, to an extent they are. And um, so they talked to him, and they weren't. They didn't attack him, and they didn't jump down on his throat or make him feel like he was an idiot or anything like that. That's not what they're there for. He says, "You're here. You're asking questions. You're you're interested in this. You're skeptical of something. Let us talk to you about. Well, here's." Our evidence, and you know, we, we point out, you know, there isn't any really positive evidence uh, to, uh, as far as 9/11 is concerned, that um, really points to it being an inside job or whatever people think. It's that the positive evidence that's there all points to, you know, the story of what's told of what happened, the 19 hijackers, planes flying in the building, and all that. And they said, here, here's some resources you can look at. Here's, uh, you know, a popular mechanics, I guess, online. I'm going to have to check it out and go through it and, and, and you know, all that. So they, uh, myself, I'm going to do that. And so they said they get with the guy and they didn't get on him. They didn't, you know, push him. They said, here's what you look at. We'll look at what the stuff that you have that you've been looking at. We'll, we'll check that out too. And I guess he came back the next newbie night, the next month. And he said, you know what, I checked it out, and I realized that that I was wrong. <laughs> and he realized what was going on. And I thought that that was cool, and that, that was great. And he thanked them for not really pushing him. And that's something that, that skeptics have to be careful of, because sometimes if you push somebody too hard about a belief that they have, they hold on to it even tighter. You know, this, they, they grab onto it even more. So um, it, it just so happened that one of the guys that came down, one of the newbies at the night I was there, was that had that same kind of thought process. He wasn't sure, and he just, you know, and I said a few things about uh, uh, about how it seems like the people want it both ways, that, uh, uh, that you know, they don't trust the government to perform certain things because there's, you know, the bureaucratic red tape and the bumbling and all that kind of stuff, and yet there's these organiz you know, organizations that can be so efficient to pull this kind of New World Order stuff off, and 
you know, and they kind of, they stopped me a little bit. So, well, we don't want to get too, you know, oh, I understand, I understand. <laughs> you know, we don't want to get too on them. We just, you know, here's this and let's, you know, we'll check this out. And we'll stick, you know, they, they loaned him a copy of Skeptical Inquirer that's a, a recent one that commemorates the 10th anniversary of 9-11 and gives some more evidence of how the buildings came down, the towers, how they came down and how they came down at, a, at a, the speed at which they came down and all that, so. But that was great, and I, uh, um, I, you know, even hung out afterward. Uh, after the meeting was done, listened to them talk. We were standing outside talking, and I talked with them a little bit about some stuff. And and uh, you know, you get to gauge of a personalities of some of the people there, and you think, oh, that guy's okay. And, uh, I don't know about that guy, <laughs> but uh, no, they were. It was good, and I hope I can be involved in the group. I'm not sure how much my schedule will allow it, nor how much my uh, you know, how much I'll be able to afford to go. I don't really like going out drinking. I know, yes, I have a beer while I do my show. I do, I know, I do, but I don't really like going out drinking anymore. It's just not, I don't know, it's just not my thing anymore. But I guess, I suppose I don't really necessarily, uh, uh, need to, uh, drink. I can have a Coke, you know, so I can do that. So did you know... This isn't exactly a news story, but um, I just hadn't had a chance to talk about it. This story is dated uh, the 19th of September in 2011. Uh, and the headline is, oh, this is on Fox News. Well, you know. Uh, the headline is, World's Biggest Sperm Bank Turning Away Redheads. What? <laughs> well, apparently, redheads are being turned away from the largest sperm bank in the world, because not enough people want children with red hair. <laughs> How dare they? Well, the director of Cryos International, Oli Shu, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, said that there have been so many donations made in the last few years that now the facility can afford to be picky. <laughs> donations. Uh, donations at a sperm bank. You know what's involved there. Anyway. Uh, the International Sperm Bank has been inundated, I'm glad they said inundated and not deluged, deluged or flooded, <laughs> that would have been, you know how these uh, journalists like to throw in little you know, puns into their things, I'm glad they didn't say, you know, it's been flooded with donations, <laughs> you know what I'm, sorry, but the demand for red-headed children isn't soaring like the supply of sperm, yeah, that's gross, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just, Images going through my mind. Uh, there are too many redheads in relation to demand. I do not think you choose a redhead unless the partner, for example, the ster sterile male, sterile, sterile, sterile male, has red hair, or because uh, the lone woman has a preference for redheads, and that's perhaps not so many, especially in the latter case. That's the uh, that's this fellow, Oli Shoe, show Shoe. He uh, went on to say that the only real demand for red-headed semen comes, out, comes from Ireland, where it sells like hotcakes. <laughs> hey, would you like syrup on that? <clears throat> Sorry. That's terrible. Cryos has now reached their capacity of 70 liters of semen. Approximately 14,000 donations. <laughs> Half of them by this one guy over... Anyway, uh, there are 600 donors on the waiting list. Hmm. Sperm from donors with brown hair and eyes is particularly in demand because Cryos has many customers in Mediterranean countries. Historically, red hair was thought to be the mark of moral degeneration and beastly sexual desires. Scotland has the highest pro uh, proportion of gingers, affecting 13% of its population, but it is estimated that there are somewhere between 6 to 8 million redheads in America, and my son is one of them. Now, other than the uncomfortable dirtiness of the way I read the story, <laughs> sorry, couldn't help it, uh, my wife and I have brown hair. I've got blue eyes. My wife's got uh, blue-green eyes. Um, and we have a red-headed son. My mom and dad have uh, brown-black hair. You know, very dark brown hair. Well, not anymore. It's getting very gray. But, you know, 
the original color was very dark brown, and they and I believe both my mom and dad have brown eyes, and they have two kids with red hair. My older brother and my sister both have red hair. My older my older brother has, or his hair's as he's getting older. He's about, he's fifty now. His hair's over the last few years has been getting browner. Uh, moving away from that deep red that he used to have, that deep orange red that he used to have. And my sister is kind of a strawberry blonde, and it still is. But, you know, I mean, you know, some guy walks in with red hair, and they're going to turn him away. There's, I, I suppose it's more likely that they will produce children with red hair. But, um, you know, you're, you're not guaranteed that a brown-haired, brown-eyed person is not going to have, a, you know, red-headed sperm. <laughs> Uh, and I don't know, I think maybe they can. I know there's DNA can tell a lot of stuff about people that they, uh, uh, you know, what color eyes they have. I think that that does have some value in figuring that out and some accuracy, but uh, I'm not absolutely certain. I was listening to it on Big Picture Science, which does air here on Z Talk Radio on Saturday afternoons. You have to check it out. It's an actual science program where they talk to scientists, and it's really good. You should listen to it. I wish they had an ad so I could put it on my show, but they don't. I'm going to see if I can get that worked on. But also, what I need to see about doing is taking a break. That's right. I've come up to another one. I can't believe it. I, you know, I was worried, as I usually do, worry about having enough to talk about on the show, but apparently, well, you know, if I come back after this break and I don't say anything and I sit here frozen, well, maybe then I messed up. So anyway, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'll be back right after this break. <laughs> The number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Are you ready for some rollicking adventure? In Scotty Roberts' book, The Rollicking Adventures of Tam O'Hare, join Irish Rabbit, Tam O'Hare, and his young squirrel squire, Horatio McNutt, as they journey through Scotland of the mid-1500s seeking a small child who's been stolen by the fairy folk. Crafty raccoon pirates, conniving noble wolves, conflicted royal foxes, and self-serving religious badgers all stand in the way as their quest brings them headlong into high seas action and supernatural intrigue. The Rollicking Adventures of Tam O'Hare is in bookstores everywhere and at barnesandnoble.com. This hardcover, lushly illustrated chapter book is the first book in the Tam O'Hare series. But hang on to your sabers. Book 2, Tam O'Hare and the Banshee of Ballyglen Morrow is coming later this year. So swash your buckle and prepare yourself for a historically rollicking, swaggeringly supernatural adventure. Visit TamOHair.com to learn more. You'll never trust a raccoon with a sword again. When, oh when, will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Your assignment is to listen to the buzz on Monday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Central on ztalkradio.com. This message will self-destruct. Station identification. You're listening to ZTalk Radio Network. Operating frequency on ztalkradio.com. This 
No, I didn't freeze. I was just messing with you. You're back on Dimland Radio at Ztalk Radio Network and the ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. So, as I said earlier, I'm playing all bumpers, or I did just, that was the last bumper I'm playing tonight, all by REM. Uh, they progress from the, their, the the first EP that they put out called Chronic Town. I had Wolves Lower. That was the first song that you heard. The next song was Radio for Europe, and that's off of Murmur. And then came Can't Get There From Here. That's off Fables of the Reconstruction. And that last one there was the one I love. That's off of... What the hell was that? Off Life's Rich Pageant, I hope. <laughs> I hope I had... That was off that one. And uh, I didn't have any... I didn't play anything off Reckoning or... You know, it, you know, Reckoning was the second full-length album that came right out. It came out after Murmur, which I think is about my favorite. But just lately, I've been listening to Fables of the Reconstruction, and that's a really good album. It's very strong throughout. It's a little moodier uh, or darker, maybe, uh, than the first couple albums, Murmur and uh, Reckoning. But uh, it's it's got that great song "Can't Get There From Here," which is with some the first song of REM's career that introduced some horns into their sound. At least I think it is, and it's really cool how they bring it in at the end of the song, and it's just you know, really good. And um, and that was kind of a bit of a minor hit for them. They had Radio Free Europe was played a bit, and then you didn't hear much from them. They were kind of lurking in the on the college radio circuit and the indie rock kind of thing. And then and then when Fables of the Reconstruction came out, that Can't Get There From Here seemed to get a little bit of airplay that kind of came up. And then, you know, uh, uh, whatever that song is, The One I Love, that one seemed to get a little bit more. But, you know, they just, just a little more mainstream attention that uh, they weren't quite getting before uh, until, of course, they got to uh, their album Out of Time, in which their song Losing My Religion just made them explode all over the place. And they got mega huge, and they, you know their album sold in the billions, well, maybe not billions, trillions, no, maybe not trillions, millions. Anyway, just sold lots of albums, made tons of money. And uh, I, I, I was a fan of REM. I, you know, still am today. Although I really like their, their the years that they were with the IRS label. Uh, I like that stuff. Their first few albums, and then when they went over to Warner Brothers, the stuff got you know kind of changed a little. But I still like stuff that they were doing, and on the whole, um, Out of Time is an excellent album. You know, Shiny Happy People might be the weakest song on the album, but I like it. It's very poppy, it's very happy, it's very shiny, and it's got people in it, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, three of the, two of the, one of the things I like, I like shiny. Shiny. Anyway, um, I like people, I guess, but happy, uh, you know, I suppose at times. I guess I can't be that much of a grouch. Anyway, that was their big thing, a big album, then came Automatic for the People, which uh, some people derided as automatic for the money, uh, but I thought that was a good album too. It's again, it's just I don't know. It just I don't know. It felt it, I just liked the early early stuff better, even though I liked that stuff. But when then I kind of stayed with them through automatic for the people, and then they then they I don't know what the next if the next album was. Uh, New Adventures in Hi-Fi. I don't know if that was the very next one or if there was something in between there. I can't remember. I should check it on Google. It probably was the next one. I still have that album. I like a few songs on it. I haven't listened to it as much as I maybe should. Oh, yeah, Monster came around. Oh, yeah, Monster. Monster was there. Monster was a really good album. I, a lot of people seem to get down on it, but... Uh, I liked it. I thought it was cool. They, they took a different direction, and they have Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth on it, and just, I thought it was neat. Uh, liked it. <laughs> I like what, what's the frequency, Kenneth. I think that's a cool song. And uh, anyway, um, but then Bill Berry, who played drums for them, he left after, I, th I think it was after New Adventures in Hi-Fi. That was the last album with him on it. And then the first album they put out without him on it was an album called Up. And I bought it, hated it. I just, I just, it was, I ugh, hated it. And it was from then on, I didn't buy any of your albums that came out. Even though I've heard some stuff and I have some stuff downloaded that I might have done illegally. Don't tell anybody. But anyway, um, <clears throat> I don't do that anymore. But I might have, I might have. Maybe I paid for it. 
you can't prove it. So anyway, uh, it just I don't know about it. That up album just I don't know. I didn't get it, and I didn't want to give it time to get it. You know, and so I didn't. So uh, maybe I should. I'll look look for clips of it on YouTube. I'm sure people have put up tr tracks on it on YouTube, and uh, maybe I should do that. But uh, I saw REM in concert twice, um, back in 1985 and then again in 1986. 85, they were promoting Fables of the Reconstruction. 86, it was Life's Rich Pageant, and uh, I enjoyed both concerts. I can't really give you a lot of details of what songs they played, what music there was. I just know I enjoyed the concerts. The first time I saw them, you know, because of the kind of band R.E.M. was, uh, they they did, inter you, know, uh, you know, attract some of the more punk-type element of music listeners, maybe a little bit, not 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 deeply. Uh, they didn't have a huge surrounding of them, but some of them. And, they, and then, you know, those that would be interested in getting up on stage and doing stage dives. <laughs> you had those kids. And I can remember watching that show, and the, the way the stage was set up. We were up, I think, in the balcony or something, and we could see beyond, back behind the stage. We could see there was like a curtain or something that wasn't closed all the way. We could see back there. And any kid that would get up on the stage, and if the security got them, they would pull them off to the side of the stage, and we'd watch them watch the walk the kid out on the back. Because, you know, you know the venue doesn't want people jumping off the stage and breaking their necks and getting a lawsuit. They don't want that kind of thing happening. So any kid that got up on stage and would dance around a little bit and try to jump into the crowd, security would grab them and take them off and beat the crap out of them. And then, well, no, I didn't see that. I, I'm just kidding. But they would escort them out, and they're done. You don't get to see the rest of the show. Um, and that was that was going on periodically throughout the show. And then R.E.M. comes back out to do a, uh, an encore after they finish their main set. And Michael Stipe says something. He's introducing somebody. And, you know, he, the first couple few albums, Stipe doesn't really enunciate in his songs very well. It, it, it just kind of goes for a feeling rather than getting the words out right, you know. So it's hard to know exactly what the lyrics are. And they didn't, they were a band that didn't believe in including lyrics with their albums. So that, uh, I don't know, it's just an art choice that they had, I guess. And uh, anyway, so when he was talking on stage, when he was talking, he wasn't exactly clear. That's how I remember it. But he was introducing somebody uh, uh, to, that was going to come up and join him for this next song. And the somebody was Bob Mould. Uh, if you don't know who Bob Mould is, he is from uh, a band called Husker Du. And back in those days, the, the band Husker Du was big in Minneapolis, big in Minnesota. They were And they were starting to get national attention and all that. They were a hardcore punk band, uh, really cool, really good band, excellent song, many times in concert. Anyway, so these Bob Mould comes out, and I think they did a cover of Paint It Black, uh, the Rolling Stones song. And... As I said, there was kids get up on stage and they'd want to dive off, and, and, and they continued through the encore. And one at one point, I remember this pretty well, Bob's up there playing along with the, the band, and a kid gets up on the stage, and one of the security starts to come out to go after the kid, and Bob Mould gets in between the security guy and the kid and just won't let the security guy buy him. He's, he's playing his guitar, and he just won't let him buy, and the kid gets a chance to do the stage dive, and we all cheered for Bob. That's real punk, Bob. Excellent. And uh, the next time I saw R.E.M., uh, both both times I saw R.E.M., uh, the band, with my friend John, uh, We went, John and I went to lots of concerts together. So the second time we saw um, R.E.M., uh, again, I think they had another musician with them. I think it was, uh, I think his name is Peter Hossapple or something like that. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. He was in a band called the DBs, and I think that he played along with him just to have another guitarist on the stage, and that, that I remember. And then when they did their encore, they, I think the first song they went into was "Born to Run," which was a Bruce Springsteen song, and. I, you know, I don't hate Bruce Springsteen's music. I like some of it. There's some songs I really like, and Born to Run is a song that's not bad. But I just, I'm not a real huge fan of his. I don't, you know, I don't care for most of his stuff, especially his earlier stuff. Uh, and, you know, and this was at the time when Springsteen was 
he was everywhere. He's just like you know, he had the Born in the USA album that come out, and it's all just you know, this 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 Springsteen gasm going across the countryside, and it was just rather annoying. And uh, uh, John and I just oh, God, that's the last thing we wanted to hear was a Springsteen song. So John looks at me and said, "Let's go." <laughs> that's it. Let's go. So we left. I, you know, when I was going to art school, uh. Got back uh, for the second year, um, which was 84, starting the second year. I'm pretty sure second year. And there was this fellow that, uh, fellow classmate, and he was a really nice guy. Nice guy, easygoing, just nice. You know, treated people well and friendly and all. And uh, he came up to me at some point, and, and just early in the year, sort of like, hey, how's it going? How was your summer? Whatever. Apparently Springsteen had come through the Twin Cities, you know, did a big show. Um, in fact, the, the video for Dancing in the Dark, with the one that Courtney Cox jumps up on stage with Springsteen, they dance. That video was filmed in the St. Paul Civic Center. Yes, it was. And uh, anyway, so he, uh, he says, did you catch Springsteen this summer? And I went on a rant at this guy. <laughs> A minute long, maybe just a few seconds, I don't know. But I just went on, I'm so sick of that Springsteen guy, whatever. You know, just came out, Springsteen guy. And at some point, I saw the expression on his face. And I went, I'm sorry. I realized what I was doing. And I stopped, I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You just asked, I'm sorry. You know, I apologized to him. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't be done to load on you like that. You just asked the question, and I turn into whatever I turned into. It's terrible. Um, let's see. I, I do have a movie recommendation to make. It's October, so I'm going to recommend movies that are of a horror film genre nature. Uh, but I'm going to start with a sort of a uh, genre buster here, if maybe. Uh, you you may have seen it. It's a fairly recent movie. It's called Shaun of the Dead. It's a zombie movie. It's hilarious. It's really good. It's funny, and it's it's got action, and it's got some poignancy to it. I mean, there's some dra uh, you know, dramatic element to it. Uh, I mean, there are zombies, and people are turning into zombies, and that's, you know, the dealing with the loved one, maybe, turning into a zombie gets kind of difficult. It's really good. It's Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are the two main characters. It, it, they, Simon Pegg plays a guy that's just kind of lost his way and sort of a slacker, and he's, you know, he's, he's working at an uh, electronics store, and, you know, he just doesn't seem to have any gumption uh, until... The zombies take over, and then he finds his inner gumption. <laughs> Whatever. So it's really funny. It's really good. It's a bit vulgar. It's a bit violent, uh, but it's it's terrific. It's just it's just terrific. So uh, you should check it out. It's called Shaun of the Dead. It's from 2004. It's it's on the Netflix. You can get it there. Maybe I don't know if it's streaming, but it's, you know I've got it here. You know if you want to come over and borrow it, uh, well I'm not going to give it to you because I'm not telling you where I live. I don't want you guys showing up at the door and just saying, hey, damn, can you let us in? And, you know, you want to get your your tapes and things. Good night, what? Our doctor. Oh, Good night, night, Frau Blucher. You ready? Yep, I made it to an end of another one. Another stellar episode. Maybe not a lot of skepticism tonight, but the Minnesota Skeptics Group. I really, um, I'm going to try to become more involved if I can and uh, see what we can do there. But uh, anyway, I should be back next week. So as I say every time, you guys should be skeptical and extraordinary evidence requires extraordinary claims. No, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And this is uh, Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Until next week, what? Oh yeah, sleep, put the lights off.
can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option, and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. I got a popcorn ball. I got a fudge ball. I got a pack of gum. I got a rock. Well, I'm going to hell. hell.